Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Are people still arcing up about me getting the middle name wrong of uh, Prince William's daughter? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we only had like 50 I look, comments. I, how many of them were blaming Holly though? Because I liked <laughs> when it pivoted Stop and people it. stopped going. It's like they don't expect much from me. It's no, great. Yeah, but it's my great. personal shame, Mia. You don't understand. Like I, I should have known that. We were, you were talking. You said yeah. it. I looked at you. I was like, is she right? And then I was like, she must be right. And then I didn't check. This it's is like, my issue with you oh, is that you don't yeah. check things. I know. You sit here, you say, oh, isn't it weird that William didn't have didn't name Charlotte Diana or didn't put that in her name. I was so confident about that. As though you'd come across that fact and you thought, I'll bring that to the table. It felt true. Where did you get that idea? Look, it just felt true. (sighs) (laughs) It felt true. No one. Okay. This is why I don't want to talk about the Royals. I (laughs) am... I have no responsibility for it. I'll talk about anything. It's not your fault, Jessie. No. The, The apology was all mine. Welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Holly Wainwright. This is the favourite part of my job, I reckon. Oh, it's the there best. are lots of things that like I do. It. And I just I wanted like to say it. that to acknowledge that I know that there are a lot of people who enjoy the show. We've got a lot of new listeners, but I just wanted to say how much I enjoy it. I love it. That's this a- is your fun place. It's the best. No, I can't remember why we're here because I'm just thinking how much how, how happy I am this to be here. This is fun. Oh, that no. could be the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Unfortunately, this episode isn't so fun. It's right. not that much of a fun week. What? That was a bad. That's a bad rep. People will turn off. Okay. On the show today, two of the shows everyone's obsessed with at the moment tell us something about the kind of people we want to see on screens. It's the rise of the self-care anti-hero, and does toxic femininity exist? But first, Jessie. We're going to begin with the story Australians can't look away from this week. And, of course, it concerns the Wheeler family who have been in immigration detention for three years. The family, Priya and Nades, who are parents to six-year-old Kopika and three-year-old Tanika, first made headlines in March 2018 when officers from the Australian Border Force stormed their home. I remember this so clearly and the incredible support from the Australian community. Where were they living? In, in Biloela. That's why. Is it like a country town? Yeah, yeah with only 6,000 people in it. And they. Queensland. Were much loved members of that community, really involved. And the Border Force had arrived to deport the family of four, even though the two children were born in Australia. The youngest of whom was nine months old at the time. Both of them were taken from their beds. They were asleep. And Priya and Nades were given 10 minutes to pack some belongings. For a few nights, they were detained in Melbourne's Broadmeadows Detention Centre and then they were pushed onto a flight destined for Sri Lanka. And I think this context is really important because sometimes in news updates it gets lost. But 
I think we need to remember why they left Sri Lanka in the first place. Priya sought asylum because she watched her fiancé be burned alive alongside five other men at the hands of the Sri Lankan government. He was killed because he belonged to the Tamil ethnic group. So does she, so does the whole family, who are native to Sri Lanka but persecuted by the military. When Nadez arrived in Australia in 2013, he had sought refuge for the same reason. According to reports, he is still covered in shrapnel from a bomb that exploded on him. Basically, they belong to this persecuted minority. That's why they fled. That's why they can't go back. So they were in Australia on these bridging visas uh, when they met each other. And then they had these two children and then our government tried to send them back. That flight to Sri Lanka that they were put on actually never took off. And that's because of the incredible support the family received from the Australian public. But they were sent back to detention. And then 18 months later, the government tried to deport them again. But a last-minute court injunction meant the plane was sensationally grounded in Darwin. So where were they for all this time? Behind razor wire with those two little babies? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So uh, Tanaka... born in Australia. Yes. She has never had a birthday. She's never had anything outside of detention. It's the only world that she knows. And so they are sensationally grounded in Darwin. And from there, they were taken to Christmas Island. For a while, they were the only ones there where they have remained since. We're talking sharing one bedroom, bunks, so one sleeps with one child and the other parent sleeps with the other. Priya's mental health has been horrible, as you can imagine, and their youngest daughter, Tanika, has suffered from such serious vitamin and nutritional deficiencies that she needed to have her teeth surgically removed. Oh my God. Medical care has been heavily criticised for years now. The reason this is in the news this week, the headlines you might have seen, is that three-year-old Tanika was evacuated to Perth Hospital. She was unwell for 10 days with vomiting, diarrhoea, dizziness and a temperature above 40. According to the family, detention staff refused to take her to hospital until the weekend where she was diagnosed with untreated pneumonia, which is believed to have caused a blood infection. How can this be happening in Australia? Exactly. Only her mum could come with her, so she is currently separated from her father and sister. Imagine being the father and knowing your daughter is in hospital in that condition and you can't even sit next to the bed. Mia, we're in furious agreement about this story. There are no arguments, I don't think, to really be had here, at least at this table, um, about how inhumane the treatment of this family has been. But another point that's been brought up is the spending. We're talking $6 million to keep this family in detention for now 39 months. What do you make of that? I'm horrified. I'm horrified and ashamed and disgusted. And I, I'm all of those things apply to myself as well because I was familiar with this story, but then we just didn't hear about it. We keep forgetting. How is the government allowing this to happen. You know, our Prime Minister is said to be a man of deep faith. He thinks of himself as a man of compassion. How long do you make an example of this family? And the the the, the Minister for Immigration has the right to make an exemption yes. to any case, can, can intervene at any moment and could have done over the last three years. I don't even know who the Minister for Immigration is. Karen Andrews? Karen Andrews, Karen Andrews yeah. And, I mean, they say 
As a result of this news story this week, Karen Andrews yesterday announced that the government are now looking into other options for resettlement for the family in Australia. It's like this. Stop looking. This is what it has taken, Mm. a, a health crisis that is not over, for the pressure to be significant enough for them to think... Maybe we should look at some other and options. This is a health condition that is life threatening yes. for a three year old. This is a serious, serious health condition. Pediatricians will tell you sustained high fevers in small children are really dangerous and they can go downhill very quickly. I mean, at, at the very least, it is so reckless with those children's health and their lives. And it's your point, Mia, about how you said, how can this happen in Australia? Yeah. The thing is that's infuriating about this, we're all in agreement, right? But the the government policy is, and it's been said again this week, if we change our minds on this family and send them home to Belo, and there's been a campaign, hashtag home to Belo, for a very long time now, and Labour's Christina Keneally was over in, in Christmas Island visiting not that long ago, trying to drum up support, trying to get the spotlight on the family. Because as you say, Mia, like our attention spans are short, right? We were outraged now we're not and now we are again you know we're on a roller coaster because they're in hospital so they've got access to can you imagine Mm. the doctors and nurses exactly health professionals treating them so the government's argument is it opens the floodgates is that we have successfully closed down to a point um what people that they term to be illegal immigrants who uh, it's not illegal to be a refugee or to claim asylum but arriving by boat and they say we have closed that down and if we start making exemptions for families like this we're going to open the floodgates that's that side of the argument but surely I mean Australia is one of the richest wealthiest healthiest countries on earth right we have an amazing health system we have space we have a manageable population we have all of these things that make us so privileged so lucky and yet this and you see in the comment sections on some of these stories playing out this mean-spirited small-mindedness the damage has already been done really to this family to be honest Mm. trauma piled on top of trauma piled on top of trauma four years in immigration children who were born in australia all intents and purposes australians being kept behind razor wire offshore it's inhumane it's inexcusable yeah and it should be a national shame i don't really know what can people do well this is what what i want to tell you because what it just makes me go i don't know what to say But obviously there's a lot of pressure mounting. So there are vigils and and protests being held. There's a candlelight vigil in Perth today outside the hospital where Tarnak is being held here in Sydney. There's one tomorrow night in Hyde Park at 5 p.m. There are – you'll be able to find them online wherever you can. There's a petition to be signed by change.org. We'll put a link in our show notes to that. And Home to Belo have um, lots of – the site, Home to Belo, have templates where you can email the minister, email your local MP, put the pressure on because really – Really, the only thing that will change this is the is the, the government is public saying outrage. that it's yeah. publicly unpopular to put children behind razor wire, sick children behind razor wire, and their vulnerable parents. And as horrified as we are by the government, I just at the same time that community makes me really proud to be Australian and what they've done. And we say we've it's been really hard as a news story because it comes up and then it goes away again. But this community and their family, friends and their advocates have been working on this case every single day and they have not forgotten this family. And they are just incredible Australians we should all be proud of. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. 
And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Now, I made a meme this week that I thought would go viral and it didn't. No. <laughs> that was upsetting when that happened. It really was. But what sparked it was two things. I read a really great article about how Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown I don't think, have you seen it yet, uh, I'm watching it, so no spoilers, please, because okay. I'm two episodes in loving it. It's about a sick. murder. Kate Winslet, she's done a lot of interviews. She's looking very real. She doesn't wear a lot of makeup. She, it, this article basically called her the anti-self-care hero we need right now. And it was about this idea that she's the kind of woman, Kate Winslet said this in an interview, who might look in the mirror while she's brushing her teeth in the morning and then won't look in the mirror again. And she talked about how she really wanted to work with the director to make sure that her character looked really like a middle-aged woman who was a detective who lived in a small town and in middle America. And if she wakes up with her hair tied back and rolls out of bed, then she can't turn up to work with curls because that's actually not – that doesn't yeah. work with the storyline. That article by Natalie Riley in – I think it was Sydney Morning Herald – was really clever. It was fabulous. And so I thought about her and then I thought about the show that Jessie's obsessed with, which I watched on her recommendation, which is that um, Bo Burnham stand-up special called Inside, which is – the special that he recorded over the course of sort of about a year when he was in lockdown in America. And to say he looks more and more dishevelled through (laughs) the course of the show is an understatement. So I grabbed a picture of him and I grabbed a picture of Kate Winslet in character and I put them together and I was like, this is kind of the vibe of Victoria and particularly Melbourne, having spoken to a lot of my friends there. And I thought it would go viral. But I think the people of Melbourne are just so exhausted and demoralised that they couldn't even summon the, the energy. The meme wasn't enough. The meme wasn't enough. You thought it was going to fix I'm so the problem. sorry. I thought it was yeah. going to make everything better for our Melbourne listeners. Anyway, it got me thinking about there's been all of this massive rise in the purchase of skincare and beauty products through the pandemic and all this talk about self-care, whether it's making a sourdough starter or, you know, doing a hobby or whatever it happens to be, making a makeup tutorial. But... Bo Burnham and Kate Winslet really heralded this idea or embody this idea of the anti-self-care hero. Jessie, you're not a huge – well, you have a complex relationship with self-care, don't you? What did you make of all of this? I do. I reckon that there is a real thread tying these two things together. So Kate Winslet even – my mum became obsessed with the fact that she wasn't looking after herself in Mayor of Easttown. Like she doesn't mm. eat very well. Maybe she's not, not showering. She she's vapes constantly. Certainly not doing her 30 minutes of exercise a day. Maybe no. she's running after criminals. But other than that, she's really not doing her yoga. And the reason I think we're leaning into these is because the pandemic or the last 12 months have blown up the self-care myth, which is that anything can be cured with a little bit of meditation, which meditation is great for a lot of people. However, this idea that it's a Band-Aid that can solve structural world very real issues is a lie. And sometimes when things aren't good, and I found this with uh, grief, with all the messiness of life, 
sometimes you need to sit in the muck for a while and I think that's where we're at right now is we don't want some redemptive narrative of some influencer telling us how to feel better, which wellness culture is trying to do all the time. To see, and this is what I loved about Inside so much, is that it reflected back a humanity in crisis, which is what I think a lot of us are feeling. And so I think that's so is it like languishing on crack? Yes, and we need to see that. And it makes us feel seen and understood rather than lectured mm. because self-care can feel like there's a feeling of overwhelm and then self-care is the guilt on top of that that you're not doing enough mm. to look after yourself when a lot of people, whether it's working really long hours, looking after kids, looking after sick relatives, so there's just not space on their to-do list to put on a mask or whatever it is oh that God. we're trying to so true. be sold. There's a scene in Mare of Easttown that I so related to, which was where she's having a conversation, I think, with her teenage daughter and she's got home from work. She's taken her shoes off, but she's still got her socks on and her jeans and her shirt. And there was something about the fact that she was wearing socks that was just so, <laughs> Holly, could you relate? Did you feel thing, seen? One of the things I think about all this fuss about Kate Winslet in this show is how insanely grateful we are anytime we see anybody on screen who doesn't look like a supermodel, because women in particular. Because after all this, I was late to Mare of Easttown. I only started watching it on Friday. I've only seen two episodes. But after all the talk, I thought I was going to see a woman falling apart. Kate Winslet is gorgeous. And Kate Winslet's skin is still shiny, has that rich person's shininess about it and still looks plumped and oh, she looks I amazing. Don't think that. The, I mean, I think she's naturally beautiful, but I I don't think She frocks up to go to a party, she looks amazing. She looks 20 times better than any of the ordinary women who are in that small town going to a party. Like she is still movie she's star. She's still Kate Winslet. Gorgeous, right? I think that we have so lost sight of what's normal, in inverted commas, walking in from a stressful day of work and grabbing a beer out of the fridge is normal. Not obsessing about what you're eating because you've been too busy but just grabbing the nearest thing that's cheap and easy and you can get to it is normal. Like not not getting up at the crack of dawn and doing yoga is normal. Like I think that we, if you live particularly in a social media bubble, we're also like, oh, isn't it amazing that there's a character on television who apparently doesn't seem to spend all her day thinking about her hair. It's like most busy people don't spend all day thinking about their hair. Like how far from reality have we got? I think we've thrown out the aspirational, like I, I and particularly at the moment, and I – think that Melbourne probably at the moment do relate to that because that that has been the overwhelming sense of like I'm not baking banana bread and I'm not picking up a hobby right now I just need everyone to understand this is shit and I feel like shit and hopefully not for too much longer because restrictions are lifting tomorrow exactly exactly you with the hope they don't sometimes you don't you can't even look at the hope you've just got to feel crap in yourself for a while and that's what these two shows do so well. And on self-care, I was listening to this podcast over the weekend on conversations with Hugh McKay, who's very clever, and it was about the kindness revolution. And he was saying that kindness makes you happier and we need to be kinder to each other. And he said that self-care is almost sometimes the opposite of kindness and that there is such Why? selfishness involved in that. He was saying that oh, we've gosh. been taught at moments of crisis. So now I have to feel bad for trying to steal half no, no. an hour of my of my day for me. He he was saying that 
at moments of crisis, so I don't, I don't feel good, right? And I come to work and I go, I'm feeling really stressed out. I'm feeling really blur. Then the advice that most people would give you is look after yourself, go have a bath, whatever. But he was saying that this idea that when we're feeling uncomfortable, we look inwards isn't often the best no. recipe. Sometimes looking outwards and whether that's an act of kindness or doing something for someone else or just getting out of your head and out of your body is often a much, much better thing to do. And he was saying that he thinks the pandemic has taught us that, that our natural instinct when things were really bad was to knock on the neighbour's door or to, you know, go and check if your pop was okay or whatever it was. Those things actually made you feel better rather than you know, as much yoga and all of that as you could. It's the human connection that kindness gives you that mm, gets you out of crisis. That's so interesting. That's true, right? But I, again, we have lost sight of what is normal in inverted commas because that is such privileged bullshit. Most people don't have time in their day to do yoga for three hours to feel better or if they're feeling bad about themselves, oh, go and have a bath. and think like, No, if I get to, and I'm not me, like I don't necessarily mean me personally, I'm very privileged, but... If, I, if there's time in your day for you to go and sit by yourself and think about your sadness, then you're fucking lucky, right? It is almost impossible, especially for parents in lockdown right now listening to this, who are homeschooling and trying to keep their life on track. They're not sitting around going, mm, self-care, that's going to make me feel better. This is nonsense. I think Holly's having a flashback to lockdown. <laughs> weeks ago on Mamma Mia Out Loud, we spoke about Chrissy Teigen, her partial cancellation. And I argued that her being exposed as once being a troll because she sent, it was shown that she had sent some vile messages to some other famous women years ago now, but vulnerable women. Vulnerable women. It had been shown that she had done that. And she's kind of been cancelled. And I was saying that in some ways, although that's a problematic result, because I'm sure now Chrissy Teigen is quite vulnerable, in some ways it was a justifiable consequence for something that I'd called toxic femininity. Now, I don't want to surprise anybody, but I didn't really know what I was talking about when I talked about toxic femininity, right? You didn't look up the definition. I didn't go and see if there had been thesis written about it. I didn't do that. I just talked about it because that's what we do sometimes. And since then, we've been talking about it a lot amongst ourselves. And the quickie did a bloody brilliant episode this week about toxic femininity. And it was called Toxic Femininity, Have Women Been Trained to Hate Each Other? And on it... There's a little snippet that we're going to play you because we want to talk about not the Chrissy Teigen part, but whether or not toxic femininity is a thing and what it means to you. Because I did discover when we started digging that there are actually quite a lot of versions of toxic femininity. On the quickie, writer Jane Gilmore argued basically that she thinks it's a tool of the patriarchy to even say that it exists. Here's a little snippet of what she said. For me, it's more something that's imposed on women rather than something that exists in them. It's an idea of women as being their own worst enemies, as being bitchy and clicky and clubbing up against each other. And these are the things that we are told women are far more often than I think they actually are. And certainly most of my experiences, both as a child in schools and now as an adult working in schools, and as an adult working with women, I find relationships with women most often to be comforting and supportive and strong. 
So a little bit of context. Obviously, the toxic femininity idea is a reflection, a mirror of toxic masculinity, which refers not to the fact that masculinity itself is toxic, but that there are negative consequences of kind of hyper masculine traits. So if you flip that, it means that toxic femininity are the toxic consequences of hyper feminine traits. Now, unsurprisingly, there's a lot of argument about what they might be. But some examples of and what we were talking about might be the idea of bitchiness in inverted commas, that women treat each other inherently with suspicion, competition and extreme criticism. So is the bitchiness the toxic femininity or the concept of bitchiness or it's the same thing? It's the symptom. Okay. So for here are some examples, some real world examples that could be termed toxic femininity. Women who tell other women they don't know how they could possibly be happy without children. Oh, yes. Women who say things like, I'm not like other girls. Women who shame others for how they give birth or how they do or don't feed their babies. Women who immediately feel threatened in an environment with other women and have to point out something bad about them to other people. So is it essentially women being dicks to other women? Essentially, yes. Okay. So the thesis is, are we raised to hate each other? Some commentators say this doesn't exist and it's a tool of the men to try and keep us down. Mm. What do we think? Does toxic femininity exist? Jesse. It absolutely exists. And I listened to this episode and didn't entirely agree with some of the points made by Jane Gilmore. Some of it I, I did, but there are obviously toxic traits of masculinity with which we're accepting. But the feminism that I was brought up on and that I believe is that gender itself is a prison. Gender the whole concept. So just as masculinity traps men and demands their something, femininity does exactly the same to women. And it's an ideal which we're always ineffectively trying to live up to. And as a result, it creates a set of behaviours which can sometimes not be very good. So this isn't saying that women are bitchy. I just think that there's socialisation at play which means that there are particular behaviours that are almost... Yeah, a result of femininity. So, for example, there was a comment that that Jane made, and I think this very much depends on your upbringing and your set of experiences, but the idea that you would walk into a girl's high school and not see that there was a little bit of, I'm going to call it meanness rather than bitchiness because the same thing exists at, at boys' schools to a different extent, but... There is meanness between girls and it's a very specific type of meanness and I actually think it's born from a place of self-loathing and a lack of self-esteem. And so when I've, I was laying in bed the other night and I couldn't sleep because I remembered something I did to a girl when I was 17 and that came from a place of insecurity, competitiveness, feeling like there could only be one smart girl in the class and I... Mm. I really brought her down in a way that was so cruel and I still I still think about that. And I think that that had a lot to do with my socialisation. So I think that toxic femininity absolutely exists and I don't think it's entirely fair to suggest that this is patriarchy trying to tear us apart because I think it exists in isolated contexts, say an all-girls school or, you know, a dinner or whatever. So another example of toxic femininity, I think, is when you sit down and have dinner and all anyone talks about is what they are and aren't eating, yes. whether it's, you know, diet culture and that sort of thing. And that's not the fault of the individual sitting there, but that's what culture has done to us. So 
I don't think it's entirely fair to suggest it's a symptom of patriarchy. But it's quite convenient for the patriarchy, isn't it? Because, like, and I know that every time we say the patriarchy, it sounds like, I don't know, I do a little internal eye roll. Yeah. I do. Mm. But it is quite convenient that there's a trope that women can't work together, right, as teams and support each other, which I 100% disagree with. Oh, me too. And I think I agree with you, Jesse, that if you see that toxic, bitchy, in inverted commas, behavior is definitely real. But I think the good thing about naming it and calling it out and recognizing that it is something that's social and external is my most hated phrase. And this I think I think about this as a parent a lot. And I've been guilty of saying it myself is girls are just bitches. So when you're talking about like a friendship oh. drama at school mm-hmm. that you might be having, that my 11-year-old might be having or your 8-year-old or your 16-year-old mm-hmm. or whatever, people will blanketly just say girls are just bitches as if that just explains and dismisses it, right? And you can't do anything about that. I fundamentally disagree with that because the flip side of it, sisterhood, again, little internal eye roll, Jesse might throw something at me, I believe is one of the most powerful forces we have. One of the best things that Jane Gilmore said in this interview on the Quickie is she made the point that when women do mobilize and work together, they can do almost anything. And that is so true. You look at what has happened in the field of women's rights in less than 100 years and look how far we've come. And as she said, it's not perfect, but that's because we're not finished. But isn't her point that, or isn't the point of this, that who stands to lose the most when women do work together it's men so it's convenient for them it is convenient for men when women turn on each other right a hundred percent and that's what I mean so I think that's why it's a useful thing to point out because I think we should counter program it you know so when my daughter's having friendship dramas which every human has let's be clear like my son also has friendship dramas but people don't just go oh that's just girls being bitches and walk Mm, away from it it's like people can be dicks yeah people can be dicks humans are dicks humans are insecure they're products of their upbringing they have different shit going on they're going to behave badly on certain days if we just dismiss it as it's a known fact that women are bitches and can't be nice to each other It's just not accurate because female friendship and female support is the thing that saves lives every day. It's one of the reasons, and I know this is simplistic, but why male mental health, particularly in middle age, is such a massive crisis because they don't have a support network that women have. Think about how many times, think about the community that we're talking to right now. Think about the out louders. Think about your group of girlfriends. Think about the women you work with. Like women support each other all the time, hold each other up, get each other through terrible things, make the best friends in the world. So I feel like every time somebody dismisses bitchiness as just something that chicks do, I feel like we should counter-program it. We should be like, yes, but look what else chicks do. I reckon though, and this is where I, I think I'm making the distinction, women are something different to femininity and men are something different to masculinity. It's something that happens to people. It's not an interchangeable term. Yes, exactly right. So I'm not saying women are bitches, but like a certain brand of femininity might make you that way. And what I do struggle with when I hear some people speak is this real degradation of masculinity. Fair enough, because masculinity kills women in a way that femininity doesn't kill men. So I just, I recognise that. But 
really tearing down masculinity and criti- but no criticizing it. That. Not no, no, talking no. about masculinity. No, no, but you're able to look at it and go, there are features of masculinity which aren't good for the world. And I think we can do the same. I don't mm. think it's very healthy to look at femininity and go, and that tick, that's really functioning really well because it's not. Neither of them are. No, I don't I don't think that for a second. I agree with you. But my point is I think we should call it out more. You know, like if you, if you actually think about the negative reaction you might have to a woman who comes into your world or into your friendship group or you see on the television or you watch behaving X, Y, Z ways on a reality show and you call it out and examine it, it's really interesting. Why do I feel that way about her? Why do I feel the need to feel competitive about this? Why do I, you know what I mean? Like I think that I'm not arguing that it doesn't exist. I'm arguing that we should name it and look at it because Mm, I agree. it's, I, I think you can unpick it. If you actually say to somebody, why are you saying that about that person? Not like not that you should never criticise anything a woman does. I don't mean that for a second. Back to the previous point, people can be dicks a lot of the time. But if you question that just general assumption that it's fine to just sledge that woman who just walked out of sight because that's what women do because they're a bunch of bitches, I think we'd all be better off. I have a quick recommendation before we go. Um, I know that Mia did a fashion recommendation on Monday and Mia's fashion is next level at the moment. She's been going through a moment, as we've discussed, of change. Some days it's today. Today it's a pink tracksuit. We have like a trench a coat. Yes. I'm wearing a tracksuit and a trench coat today. Yep. Yesterday it. it was a sequin suit at the event we went to. It was next level. But I feel like some of the outliers need a more basic recommendation. Holly, you are our basic bitch <laughs> correspondent. Really Bring it. And this is it. Just buy yourself a blazer. That's all oh. you have to do this season. I know. But this this season, in inverted commas, all you have to do to make yourself feel a tiny bit so more true. put together, like you made an effort, like you've got something new, is buy yourself a blazer. I also love that blazers are the new word for jacket. So yes. you don't have to buy anything. Just go into your cupboard. And take out a jacket and call it a blazer. Blazers don't suit me. They look silly on me. Not well, true. I don't reckon that would be accurate. But Just anyway, about everything. I bought a blazer from Zara that is, I think I'm wearing it now. I think I've been wearing it every day. Uh, <laughs> it was $160. It's called, I think it's called the Boyfriend Blazer. It came on the internet the day after I ordered it because I haven't got time to go and try on 20 million jackets. And I now wear it with everything and I just feel 20% mm. More pulled together than I did before I bought the blazer. And it's a really modern look. Jesse. your thing is that you never look like you <laughs> are enjoying wearing clothes. You look like my dog when I put clothes on her. Yeah. Unless I'm in like tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, you always you just look, look like, like my dog. Yeah, you, you, don't, you do, don't <laughs> yeah, you think? Yeah. You know what she looks like when she puts clothes on. Horrified. She just kind of Stands gets very there. still. And has this weird posture as you put the clothes on her. Like, you don't ever inhabit your clothes. Yeah. She doesn't reject the clothes, but she doesn't accept them. No, (laughs) correct. Advice on Zara. Zara app. This changed my life, Ah. right? So I was going to Zara on my desktop looking it up. That website is one of the least user-friendly things in the world. That's why you need to download the Zara app. It will change your life because you can scroll. It's way better. I might buy some things from Zara. Yes. Cheapish blazers. They have cheaper versions than this one too. They've got some great jeans. But one blazer and you'll feel less basic overnight. And, of course, you could buy a black blazer for a lot less than $160. I got a blazer from Big W that was about $20, yep. I think. $20. H&M at Big has some great ones. H- H&M have lots. Zara has cheaper ones. You don't have to spend that much and money. And if you've got some extra cash, please support a lady startup or a small business. That... 
is all we have time for today. For the Outlouders who are M Plus members, tomorrow is a confronting episode for me. Not so much for Mia, but it's a very raw episode. We talk about a certain milestone oh my God, birthday. We're turning 50 this year, guys. <laughs> Holly, you are exhausting she on said this she subject. Acknowledge it on this show. This is worse than when you would, didn't know whether to get a fringe or not. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's hard we'll move for to me, the guys. Country. So. Tomorrow's episode, we're going to play a little snippet of it. Jesse interviews me and Mia about being old. Holly, when you were a kid, <laughs> what age did you think was old? <laughs> what a great question. 25. <laughs> Certainly 25. And then more recently than that, I remember starting a job, like a couple of jobs ago, starting a job and the woman I was working with closely revealed that she was 38 <gasps> and I was like, Oh, my God, she's 38. She's still working in media. That's amazing. What did you think she should be doing yeah. in a retirement home? Don't, exactly. I don't know. People, Young people have bullshit ideas about old people. <laughs> same old. To me at the time, 38 seemed ancient. And it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Mom Mirror Out Loud is produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer of Mom Mirror Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff. We'll see you on the Mom Mirror app. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.